0: From
1: the southern branch of the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Sultry Savannah, this is Obscure Season 2, Frankenstein. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, literary mansplainer-in-chief, and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black feeling this week all-powerful. I, as you know, have been watching a lot of YouTube videos about such ephemera as RVs, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that RVs has led me to is um, RV maintenance and such, which has led me to kind of DIY stuff, which reminded me that I bought a house. And so I was like, hey, maybe I don't need to pay everybody to do everything for me. Maybe I can, in fact, do some things for myself. So I Googled, like, what, (laughs) basically, like, what tools should I have? Just as a human being, what tools should I have and, they, uh, and and you know, because there's idiots like me out there, somebody, some DIYer, had compiled a list of tools that somebody like me should have. And I was like, well, I'll just get one of these. So the one that looked the most appealing to me is uh called the Sawsall. And it does what the name implies. It's it implies it Saws All. Like whatever you need to saw, it'll saw it. It's called a, a, the more generic term for it is a reciprocating saw. And you know, look, I'm probably telling you people things that you already know. I, I don't know anything. You know, I never, I never uh, built nothing. I never, you know, did nothing with my hands. You know, I'm, j- I just, I just don't know how to do anything. You know, I didn't grow up with it. Um, nobody in my family ever did stuff like that. So, you know, simple stuff that every adult human being should know how to do, I don't know how to do. So I spent a fun night sort of researching, like, oh, should I get a Sawzall? And I was watching, you know, as I do, YouTube videos about Sawzalls and what you could do with them and what they're for. And then I thought, I thought to myself, hey, Michael, you should get one. So I ordered one and then it came and it, it was so much bigger than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> It came in this big box, you know this big like you know heavy duty case where it's got its it's fucking saws all in it, it's like a serious machine, and you know you got it's got a big battery and you know it takes two hands to really do anything with it, and it's got blades and you know I had to learn which blades to use for different projects and so outside the the haunted mansion here on the sidewalk, we have this. I don't know what you call it, an an amalgamation of wood that was constructed over the side entrance to look something like it might have been designed to be a grape arbor. But there were no grapes growing on it. In fact, nothing was growing on it at all. And in further fact, it looked like it was about to topple over at any moment. And we had said, oh, we should get rid of that thing. Well, friends, rather than ask the guys who've been working on the house to do it, I said to Martha, Martha, I'm gonna get rid of that thing. She said, No, you'll you'll blind yourself or you'll chop off an arm. I said no. I bought the sawzall and I'm gonna I'm gonna put it to the test. So what did I do? I gathered my strength, I gathered my courage, I gathered my wits, I took out the sawzall, I took out a ladder, I, I put on protective eye wear, I put on uh I took off my flip-flops and put on my boots that have uh, steel toes in them. And I got up on the ladder, and and then I uh, I, st- I started puzzling. Well, how, how do you actually dismantle something constructed of wood and that is big? And uh, across the street from the haunted mansion, there's a hotel called the Gastonian. Because and, um, and never mind why, but um, there's a guy who works there. He's the head housekeeper. His name is Walter, and Walter. Without fail, every time he sees me, says, "Good morning, Mr. Michael." And I wish he wouldn't call me Mr. Michael, but he does. And so I say, "Hey, good morning, Walter." And then, as I was puzzling over the thing, uh, Walter comes sauntering across the street and says, uh, "You know, basically, what are you doing?" And I said, oh, "I'm going to take this thing down." Uh, and he's looking at me somewhat skeptically because I think he consents that I don't know what I'm doing at all. And uh, he says, uh-huh. And I say, yeah, I'm going to take, uh, take it apart, you know, from the top down. He says, yeah, I think that's probably the smartest way to do it. And then he says, uh, let me know if you need any help. Somewhat condescendingly, I thought, you know. But I said, thank you, Walter. And Walter went back to the Gastonian, and I said about my business, well, friends, I got up on that ladder, and I sliced through that wood like it was nothing, just chopping away at the wood with my sawzall. And within, I don't know, 45 minutes or so, the whole thing was down. I had, uh, I had cut it apart. I had, I had stacked it in pieces in my side yard so that I can bring it to the dump this week. And I felt all-powerful, all-powerful, having done the simplest task. But, you know, a task that I'd never done before. And so ever since then, I've been looking for things to chop down and demolish with my sawzall. Did a tree this morning. I took off. I well, we were talking about. T- there's there's some a couple of doors. Okay, that go into our kitchen. So you go you go and you know from the from the entry into the kitchen. There's a door there, and then from the kitchen also into the dining room. There's a swinging door. And we've been debating whether or not we need those doors. And yesterday, I think we decided, oh, we don't need those. And so today, I, while Martha was uh, doing whatever she was doing, I said, I'm going to take off those doors. So I got the one off pretty easily without the sawzall. But then we had a swinging door. And the swinging door, I was like, I'm going to chop this bitch to bits. And I got up there and I, and I sawzalled the top of the swinging door and knocked it out because I was having trouble figuring out how to actually get it down in the proper way. But it's so satisfying to just chop ghosts go through wood like that. My God. I feel like I have something of Victor Frankenstein's power now in my fingertips. The ability to destroy. At least I have, if not yet, the ability to create. Because I do not have the ability to create anything at all. You know, what, what I have right now is the, is the ability to demolish and it's a satisfying ability and we left last week on demolishing the big buddy and Victor Frankenstein vowing to demolish each other Victor is chasing big buddy across continents up and down mountains through the steppes of russia and big buddy is basically taunting him saying catch me if you can catch me if you can you know and leaving him little snacks out so that he can keep chasing them, you know, if he gets too tired, like basically trying to keep him alive for as long as possible so that they can have their ultimate Marvel showdown where they're going to just battle it out. He says, uh, he says, we have not yet wrestled for our lives, but many hard and miserable hours must you endure until that period shall arrive. That's what Big Buddy is saying to Victor Frankenstein. And he's saying, I'm going to go up north. I'm going to go to the ice. And we know, of course, that that's where our story begins, is up in the Arctic. And so when we left it last, Victor Frankenstein was again vowing vengeance. Again, do I devote the miserable fiend to torture and death? You know, he's going to avenge Elizabeth and his departed friends who even now prepare for me the reward of my tedious toil and horrible pilgrimage. He is saying, I'm going to die. You know, get rich or die trying. He's what is basically what he's saying here. We continue now with volume three, chapter seven of Frankenstein. <laughs> As I still pursued my journey to the northward, the snows thickened, and the cold increased in a degree almost too severe to support. The peasants were shut up in their hovels, and only a few of the most hardy ventured forth to seize the animals whom starvation had forced from their hiding places to seek for prey." The rivers were covered with ice, and no fish could be procured, and thus I was cut off from my chief article of maintenance. The triumph of my enemy increased with the difficulty of my labors. One inscription that he left was in these words, Prepare! Your toils only begin. Wrap yourself in furs and provide food, for we shall soon enter upon a journey where your sufferings will satisfy my everlasting hatred. So, Big Buddy's been leaving little mash notes for Victor Frankenstein, you know, all over the place, you know, on rocks and, you know, little notes that he, oh my God, my fucking dogs won't shut up. I hate them so much. I've determined in my life that on balance, on balance, the dogs take far more than they give. It's just a fact, you know? Especially now that we're in Savannah, we gotta walk them all the time. I mean, look, I need the steps, but are the steps worth the poo picking up? Are they worth the tugging of the leash all the time? I don't know. Not really. And I know you dog lovers, you're gonna be upset with me for saying it, but on balance, they take more than they give. Just saying. And now I lost my place. Uh, but he's been leaving these mash notes, you know, all over. And uh, he's saying, you know, hey, it's, it's, it has sucked to this point. It's going to start sucking a lot worse. My courage and perseverance were invigorated by these scoffing words. I resolved not to fail in my purpose, and calling on heaven to support me, I continued with unabated fervor to traverse immense deserts until the ocean appeared at a distance and formed the utmost boundary Of the horizon. Oh, how unlike it was to the blue seasons of the south. Covered with ice, it was only to be distinguished from land by its superior wildness and ruggedness. The Greeks wept for joy when they beheld the Mediterranean from the hills of Asia, inhaled with rapture the boundary of their toils. I did not weep, but I knelt down, and with a full heart, thanked my guiding spirit for conducting me in safety to the place where I hoped, notwithstanding my adversary's jibe, to meet and grapple with him. I don't know why he has this idea in his head that he's literally, because I think it's literal, he's literally going to wrestle with Big Buddy, okay? Under the best of circumstances, he would be killed. Under the best of circumstances, Big Buddy would take a sawzall to him and rip him apart. Why does he think that he has a, a, he has any chance here? I mean, when we're not in the best of circumstances, he's basically been starving for months. He's, he's emaciated. He's exhausted. He's suffering from colds, no doubt frostbites, no doubt blue balls. That was a, a cheap joke, and I shouldn't upset it. But no doubt his balls are blue. I mean, all of him is blue at this point. He's cold, you know? Why does he think that he's going to find any satisfaction by going mano a mano with Big Buddy? He won't. He won't. It's not possible. It would be like if one of you tried to wrestle me. I would destroy you. I I would fucking eat you alive. One, look at me, and you know you don't have a chance. Some weeks before this period, I had procured a sledge and dogs, and thus traversed the snows with inconceivable speed. I know not whether the fiend possessed the same advantages, but I found that, as before I had daily lost ground in the pursuit, I now gained on him. So much so, that when I first saw the ocean, he was but one day's journey in advance, and I hoped to intercept him before he should reach the beach. With new courage, therefore, I pressed on, and in two days arrived at a wretched hamlet on the seashore. I inquired of the inhabitants concerning the fiend and gained accurate information. A gigantic monster, they said, had arrived the night before, armed with a gun and many pistols, putting to flight the inhabitants of a solitary cottage through fear of his terrific appearance." He had carried off their store of winter food and placing it in a sledge to draw which he had seized on a numerous drove of trained dogs. He had harnessed them, and the same night, to the joy of the horror-struck villagers, had pursued his journey across the sea in a direction that led to no land. And they conjectured, that he must speedily be destroyed by the breaking of the ice or frozen by the eternal frosts. So now we're all caught up, right? We're all caught up with where the story began. Big Buddy is traversing in a sledge across the ice. He's being pursued by his creator. And I feel like, you know, finally now, finally, we understand the beginning of the story. And so let us take a brief, just a, let's just catch our breath, guys, because it's all happening so fast now. Let's, let's take a brief breather, and we'll be back in a moment on Obscure.
0: Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: back on obscure victor frankenstein chasing big buddy across the northern ices big buddy now armed with a pistol and rifles he's got dogs he's got he's got a cache of food you know he's really made something out of himself but now according to the horror-struck villagers he has gone into the great beyond he has crossed into the ocean on the ice uh, across which there is no land They're saying he will be speedily destroyed. On hearing this information, I suffered a temporary access of despair. He had escaped me, and I must commence a destructive and almost endless journey across the mountainous ices of the ocean, amidst cold that few of the inhabitants could long endure, and which I, the native of a genial and sunny climate, could not hope to survive. Yet at the idea that the fiend should live and be triumphant, my rage and vengeance returned, and like a mighty tide, overwhelmed every other feeling. After a slight repose, during which the spirits of the dead hovered round and instigated me to toil and revenge, I prepared for my journey. A thought, I have a thought now one that had not yet occurred to me, but one that I think maybe is relevant, which is that, do you remember how this all began? Not the podcast, but Mary Shelley's telling of Frankenstein itself in a cabin in Geneva with Lord Byron and her husband, Percy Bissy Shelley. I don't know if you can hear my dogs. They're going nuts. They're just, uh, They're just out of control. They're just out of control. They're in a cabin in Geneva, and they're telling ghost stories. Well, to this point, really, when we think of it, although Frankenstein is a horror story and a science fiction story, it is not a ghost story. But over the last episode or so, what have we, uh, what, what ha- what, what have we learned is animating Victor Frankenstein in this fruitless journey across the globe to chase the big buddy? It is, in fact, the spirits of the dead. Poor William and poor Clerval and poor Justine and poor Elizabeth, all of them, calling forth to Victor Frankenstein, avenge us, avenge us, avenge us. Those are the ghosts. We have our first apparitions. So now it is their uh, beckoning to him that is sustaining him when nothing else can, you know? He's he's from he's he's from, you know, a genial and sunny climate, you know, where you know, it, it, as soon as it turns March you go out in your bermuda shorts and you you go tan yourself. Not here. Not up in the Arctic. Not even the natives can survive this, but he can because he has transfusions of energy from the dead. I exchanged my land sledge for one fashioned for the inequalities of the frozen ocean. In purchasing a plentiful stock of provisions, I departed from land. I cannot guess how many days have passed since then, but I have endured misery. We know, dude. That's all you endure is misery. We know. Which nothing but the eternal sentiment of a just retribution burning within my heart could have enabled me to support immense and rugged mountains of ice often barred up my passage, and I often heard the thunder of the ground sea which threatened my destruction. But again the frost came and made the paths of the sea secure. By the quantity of provision which I had consumed, I should guess that I had passed three weeks in this journey, and the continual protraction of hope, returning back upon the heart, often wrung bitter drops of despondency and grief from my eyes. Despair had indeed almost secured her prey, and I should soon have sunk beneath this misery. Once, after the poor animals that conveyed me had, with incredible toil, gained the summit of a sloping ice mountain, and one, sinking under his fatigue, died, I viewed the expanse before me with anguish when suddenly my eye caught a dark speck upon the dusty plain. I strained my sight to discover what it could be and uttered a wild cry of ecstasy when I distinguished a sledge, and the distorted proportions of a well-known form within. Oh, with what a burning gush did hope revisit my heart. Warm tears filled my eyes, which I hastily wiped away, that they might not intercept the view I had of the daemon. But still my sight was dimmed by the burning drops, until giving way to the emotions that oppressed me, I wept aloud. I mean, does, the, does he not sound like a teenager in love pursuing his, I was going to say his beloved, to the ends of the earth? Has any lover ever dedicated themselves to this journey? Has any lover been so dedicated as Victor Frankenstein is to Big Buddy? I think not. I mean, maybe what's-his-face? Odysseus? (laughs) What's-his-face? I can't remember. You know? Odysseus. You know? Or some other, you know, hero from mythology. Literally traversing the globe, gone for years at a time. All with the aim of returning home to their love. But this love sustains, animates warms, engorges. Yeah, I said it, engorges. And the big buddy loves him in return. It's a wretched kind of love. It's a Sid and Nancy kind of love. It's an emo kind of love that can only end in despair. And I know, I said last time, love and hate cannot coexist in the same place at the same time, but maybe we do not always know which is which. And that which he hates has in fact become that which he loves. It is his sustaining life force. It is his love. But now, when I appeared almost within grasp of my foe, my hopes were suddenly extinguished, and I lost all trace of him more utterly than I had ever done before. A ground sea was heard, the thunder of its progress, as the waters rolled and swelled beneath me, became every moment more ominous and terrific. I pressed on, but in vain. The wind arose, the sea roared, and as with the mighty shock of an earthquake, it split and cracked with a tremendous and overwhelming sound. The work was soon finished. In a few minutes, a tumultuous sea rolled between me and my enemy, and I was left drifting on a scattered piece of ice that was continually lessening and thus preparing for me a hideous death. In this manner, many appalling hours passed, several of my dogs died, and I myself was about to sink under the accumulation of distress when I saw your vessel riding at anchor. And holding forth to me, hopes of succor and life. I had no conception that vessels ever came so far north and was astounded at the sight. I quickly destroyed part of my sledge to construct oars and by these means was enabled with infinite fatigue to move my ice raft in the direction of your ship. I had determined, if you were going southwards, still to trust myself to the mercy of the seas rather than abandon my purpose. I hoped to induce you to grant me a boat with which I could pursue my enemy. But your direction was northward. You took me on board when my vigor was exhausted, and I should soon have sunk under my multiplied hardships into a death which I still dread, for my task is unfulfilled. Oh, when will my guiding spirit, in conducting me to the daemon, allow me the rest I so much desire? Or must I die and he yet live? If I do, swear to me, Walton. This is the first time he said his name, as far as I can tell. When was the last time you heard that name, Walton? Not since they met. If I do, swear to me, Walton, that he shall not escape, that you will seek him, and satisfy my vengeance in his death. And do I dare to ask of you to undertake my pilgrimage, to endure the hardships that I have undergone? No, I am not so selfish. Yet when I am dead, if he should appear, if the ministers of vengeance should conduct him to you, swear that he shall not live. Swear that he shall not triumph over my accumulated woes and survive to add to the list of his dark crimes. He is eloquent and persuasive, and once his words had even power over my heart. But they still do, dude. But trust him not. His soul is as hellish as his form, full of treachery and fiend-like malice. Hear him not. Call on the manes of William, Justine, Clerval, Elizabeth, my father, and of the wretched Victor, and thrust your sword into his heart. I will hover near and direct the steel aright. I mean, now we're just cooking with gas, are we not? Now we've got all four burners going. Yeah, I understand that some commercial stoves have, uh, ranges have six burners. And some residential ones too, but, you know, who are we, you know? Julia Childs? No, we got four burners and that's it. And we're cooking on all of them. And we're ending now because Frankenstein has concluded speaking. Because the next thing that happens is it says Walton in continuation. And then it says August 26th, 17-. dash. So he is writing a new letter to his sister, Margaret Saville. And we are not going to go there just yet. We will pause because we are all caught up. But, you know, Victor Frankenstein basically saying, hey, look, if I die, will you do this for me? No, no, not my problem, dude. Big Buddy is not my problem. I'm trying to play Elon Musk here. I'm trying to harness the power of magnetism. I'm trying to find a new channel, you know, to to China or what have you. I don't have time to be gallivanting across the ice flows to catch your monster. Not my problem, dude. Besides, it sounds like he's gone, you know? He's off in the Arctic Sea. He's, you know, playing with walruses or whatever he's going to do. Why do I have to deal with this? You know, and, and Frankenstein says, look, I'm not so selfish as to make you do it. But, you know, if you should happen to come across a big buddy while you're up here, would you please harpoon the fucker? You know, it's a lot to ask. If it's me, I'm saying, look, buddy, you know, I picked you up. I gave you some brandy. I brought you back to life. But, you know, this is just not my deal at all. And you can say you're not being selfish, but, my man, you're being a little bit selfish here. Victor Frankenstein calling on the powers of destruction as the animating force now in his wretched life. He describes himself as wretched. And I understand that dark power now. Having procured for myself the mighty blade of the sawzall, I know what it is like to rip apart that which man has wrought. Now I don't know what to do with it, though. Now I got this sawzall, and I took down the tree, and I took down the arbor, and I sawed off a door, and now I don't know what to do. I got to wander my home, wander the haunted mansion, like Jack Nicholson in The Shining, you know, looking for something to destroy. It's very satisfying. Really does the body good to tear something asunder. And so we will leave it there. Probably only have a couple episodes left, two, maybe three. And then I want to thank you, everybody, for giving me suggestions as to what I should do next, whether it's going to be a book or jumping into maybe short stories or just continuing talk of the haunted mansion and what have you. I have not yet determined maybe some combination of all, although I I don't think I will pick up a book immediately, but I will do something. So I'm going to contemplate that. I'm going to contemplate the evil power of destruction, and we shall meet again on another dark episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. Obscure Season 2 Frankenstein is produced by Robin Lynn, Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and myself here in the wilds of Connecticut where I record and elsewhere. Original music by Craig Wedren. If you enjoy this podcast, please go to apple podcasts and drop in some stars for us why don't you write a kind review why don't you it helps how does it help i have no idea but it makes me feel good